Good morning, everybody. Now I'm from the south slope of the Acropolis, but actually now at the theatre of Dionysius, which is where the famous play, The Clouds, was played, obviously, <laughs> where ridiculed Socrates, basically. Now, I'm going to share a bit about this, because it's an important lesson in this. Um, and this is from Donald Robertson, guys. He's done a lot of this research and stuff. I am not claiming to be an historian historian here all the stuff i learn a lot about through his books and uh just reading a lot of books about socrates and stuff as well coming across these things but the important thing about this is is like that theater was huge it was something like i'm looking at it now and i can only see about a fourth of it is there i think it goes all the way up and there would have been an, an unbelievable unbelievable view i'm looking at it now this these athenians must have must have been like wow i can't believe where we live like there's literally theatres and shops and huge, like, amazing views. And, uh, you know, that is luxury, in my opinion. That is luxury. Like, I would love to have been able to just go to a theatre there in, 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 our, in, in, like, 2,500 years ago and I'd laugh. Just, honestly, I think, if you think of the simple stuff in life, I mean, they had it nailed down, basically. Um, but anyway, let's go back to this play and why it's important. So, essentially... Um, they had a play where they made out that Socrates was, they were, they were obviously mocking him all the time. And they were basically trying to make out that he was just like an idiot, basically. But Socrates was completely indifferent to this. He didn't react at all to it. And it's essentially the precursor of Stoicism in a sense. It's like, look, it's not the things that disturb us. It's our opinion about things that does. And this is classic that Socrates was getting ridiculed in Athenian society on the main stage. It's kind of like being ridiculed on TV to millions of people every time, making out that you're an idiot, right? And just not be reacting to it. Think about social media, for example. If someone calls you an idiot on social media, just one comment on an Instagram post, you lose your head. This is at the, at the biggest scale of all. Um, and Socrates is like a central character in this play called The Clouds. And you would basically display him as a pompous buffoon, um, a, a cross between a, a philosopher and a sophist. So sophistry or sophists were people who would talk a lot of sense in air. No, sorry, they would seem like they talk a lot of sense. They would charge a hell of a lot of money to, to talk. So they would public talk and they'd say, yeah, give me 25 grand and I'll come and talk. A lot like these modern day so-called philosophers who charge 200k a talk. And I'm talking about you, Jay Shetty. Um, even Ryan Holiday charges an astronomical amount for like a one-hour Q&A. And it's like, are you a stoic or are you a sophist? I understand you need to make money to live, but uh, surely like you should not have a blanket to charge and everything. You should want to share your wisdom and all this stuff. And if it's, you know, like just blanketly charging all the time to talk as if it's his wisdom, his mental, it's not his wisdom, is it? He just, he's just repeating what the stoics are saying. Anyway. So that's a sophist. They would make money from talking, and it seemed like it makes sense. They'd make you think, yeah, it makes sense, but it was all just kind of like scientism. It sounds like science, but it's not, which is the health and fitness issue. Is everything sounds right by these idiots online who say, well, he's like diets to rebalance your hormones and all that stuff. And it sounds cool. And you always see these TikToks, they're like, oh, it sounds right, but it's not right. Um, anyway, so they made out that basically he charged high fees to reveal his wisdom. That's what they try to make a sophist as this person. Um, dirty beggar type of person, um, and and if members of a cult followed him, right? So basically, I was the same. Um, and then this is what Donald says in Plato's Apology. Socrates is seen as defending himself during his trial, 
for corrupting the youth of Athens. That's what they charged him for, corrupting the youth of Athens. So these plays essentially led to his death because people's opinions were changed by them. Even though they were false, people started believing in what the plays were saying, right? Um, and he mentions that the charges aren't the real reason he's been brought to trial. Um, amongst other, thing, other things, he's unjustly acquired a bad reputation among the Athenian public because slanderous rumours have spread about him, fueled by the plays, right? Makes sense. Um, and this is what it says. Well, what do the slanderers say? These shall be my prosecutors, and I will sum up their words in Afid, a, Afidvati. Afidavit. Afid, Afidavit? Afid <laughs> I can't speak English. Socrates is an evildoer and a curious person who searches into things under the earth and in heaven, and he makes the worse appear the better cause. And he teaches the aforesaid doctrines to others. Such is the nature of the acquisition. It is just what you have yourself seen in the comedy who was introduced a man who he calls Socrates going about and saying that he walks on air or walks on air and talking a deal of nonsense concerning matters of which I do not pretend to know either much or little. Not that I mean to speak of anyone who is a student of natural philosophy. I should be very sorry if Melitus could bring so grave a charge against me. But the simple truth is, O Athenians, that I have nothing to do with the physical speculations. Very many of those here present are witnesses to the truth of this, and to them I appeal, as little foundation is there for the report that I am a teacher and take money. This accusation has no more truth in it than the other. So that's what Plato says, which is what, he's a big follower of Socrates, um, that he was defending himself, right? But Socrates, in a sense, didn't want to fight them. He didn't care about trying to overturn. He already was like, look, these people think what they think. I'm never going to change their mind. Neither do I want to admit that I am at fault of corrupting the youth because I haven't done so. But they were saying to him, basically, as long as just admit you did it and then you would, you might not die. And he's like, nah, you think I'm scared of death, mate? You think I'm scared of dying? I'm ready to die. And, you know, just didn't even let him corrupt him at the end, um, which is interesting. So, Diogenes Laetius, who wrote a book about like all all these like ancient characters, it's a bit, it's quite a good read, but it's quite hard sometimes. Um, he said, Socrates said, we ought not to object. He used to say to the subjects for the comic poets, for if they satirize our faults, they will do us good, and if they do not, and if they do not touch us, and if not, they do not touch us. There's also a story that during one performance of The Clouds, foreign visitors to the Athenian festival could be heard whispering, who is this Socrates? Socrates silently rose from his seat, making himself visible to the rest of the audience. Although they didn't know him, the foreigners would probably have been able to recognise his features from the caricature on stage by the actor's comic mask. In other words, he wasn't ashamed of being ridiculed as a pompous buffoon on stage, but took it with good grace. Now, I've said a lot there, and some of it might make sense to you, some of it might not. And I'm just standing right here where he would have stood up, basically. So I'm looking at the theatre right now where he would have stood up and made himself made himself visible to, like, this is me. I don't mind people taking the piss out of me. Um, you can do it. If people gain from me happy days, if you get a laugh from me happy days, if I, I'm, of course, a man of faults. I'm not perfect, as he would say. He also famously said he knows nothing. You know, the the Oracle of Delphi was like, yeah, the most the most the wisest of the wise is this man Socrates, and he was like, it's not true, I know nothing. And in a sense, like people didn't like him, 
and the Socratic questioning comes from Socrates, you know, like the, 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 the ability to get deeper into questions, asking simple questions lead on to more. And um, Vic from Munich, another shout out to you, uh, is a business lawyer and I'm sure she would have come across Socratic questioning and I'm sure they trained in it. And essentially, like what I've noticed from reading on Socrates, some of the ancient Stoics, the Buddha, Krishnamurti, is that they're very precise with what they say in their languages. They ask questions to, for definition. They never let a label get run away from them. So we live through labels. So you live through a label of I'm Scott and you've already got a label for who I am or what I do. And therefore you essentially don't do your own seeing of who Scott is. You've already made that read that image has already been created by other people and it's in your head and there's no more inquiring into it. That's Scott, happy days. Same for things like anxiety, like people have told you what anxiety is, it's bad and stuff, and there's no more inquiring by you as to what anxiety is. Or someone may say to you, like, oh, you know, it might be annoying, but Socrates would say something like, who is, you know, what do you mean by friend? And then some of you might be like, oh, shut up, I don't want to talk about what you mean by friends, you idiot. Of course, what do you mean by friends? We all know what friends means, but what is your definition of a friend, basically? You'd go deep into what do you mean by friend? What do you mean by protecting your friend? And then you go, what do you mean by protecting? And you can see how annoying this will get for people who just don't want to go deeper into things. They just don't want to know, don't want to explain themselves. But this is what all the kind of like, wisest people in the world have done is they've they've essentially want to be so precise with what they say with the definitions that they see what they trip themselves up Does that make sense they see that where labels trip ourselves up they see that just taking what other people have said about something as a fact is wrong and we work from labels and therefore we we work from the description so the description is in the described does that make sense to you? So the description of the tree isn't the tree. The description of your feeling of anxiety isn't the actual feeling itself. Um, and you have to really be someone who inquires into these things to, to, to look into it. And that's essentially what I believe the, the start of wisdom is, is, is. You can do it yourself right now. Is to really question your definitions, your labels. Are you walking around day to day just using labels as a way to navigate, which makes sense? because it speeds up the process like that's a tree that's a calisys that's that that's work that's tom that's just janice and you just labels are happy days but because we have labels we never see the truth in the moment we never see the actual if that makes sense and i think we can do this ourselves looking internally um you feel sad and you've already then labeled th that feeling as sad and that sad label has already got a description that you probably have come up with. And I mean, we know we do have to go from definitions, but they are skewed. And then you've got this kind of bad connotation of what sad means, and you don't want to be sad. And then you fight there, basically, as opposed to going, you know what, like, let me just look at this and see what it means. What's happened there? What's, what's my perception of this? And that's a, that's a start, looking at things with indifference. Think about it. Socrates would say, I'm indifferent to things. I delay judgment on things. I'm able to see something and not react instantly, which most of us do. Um, and then Krishnamurti would say, choiceless awareness. Can you observe without choice, without wanting to accept, without wanting to deny, without wanting to change? Can you just observe? Right? And it's, it's a similar thing. They're, they're saying similar things, getting to a similar answer in a sense. 
So can you observe without without choice? Can you observe something and say that's good or bad? Can you observe something as that ugly or pretty? Can you observe without any of that, without any of the labels and words? And can and in a sense of Socrates' wisdom, can you be indifferent to things happening to you, delay judgment? and be responsive versus reactive. And that's the start of Stoicism. But Socrates was the first one to, to be in, in, that, in that way. A lot of us take things personally so fast that we think there is no time between something happening to us and our reaction. For example, my friend's with me in, um, in Athens now, and uh, he's going out with this girl right from back home. And she went on a date with one of my other friends. Well, not a date, saw him and, you know, for a moment. And he doesn't believe, he doesn't know, because she said one white lie to him. He does he now thinks, because she said one white lie, she might lie about everything. And I'm like, that's just stupid, that doesn't even make logical sense. Like, white lie doesn't mean you're going to lie about everything. Like, you could, she could have said to you 2,000 truths and one lie, so 99.9% of the time she's speaking truth. Anyway, I wind him up so easy, I laugh my head off, I'm like, oh, may I go tell you something? No, no, they definitely did kiss. And he's like, no, boy, you're serious. And I'm like, no, I'm joking. He's like, no, you're serious. I'm like, look, I'm joking. Mate. I'll do that every few hours for the, for, for the day. And every time I'd say it, I can see his head turning. So I'll say, no, no, serious now. I need to tell you something. <laughs> right? And I'll start laughing. And, I, and he'll go, oh, I, know you're, I know you're joking. And I'll wait about five seconds. And I'm watching him. And it's like an experiment for him. And I can see his brain turning. And he's like, no. And he can't help it but react to it. I think... Ah, no, I can't, it's, you know, she's, okay, yeah, what, what happened, tell me, tell me what happened. And it's like, can you just observe that mess that's happening there without reacting like it is? And we were talking about it, and he's like, it's hard to do it, because it's quite, it's quite instant. And we were talking, like, why is it that he is reacting that way all the time? It's out of insecurity, of course, but it's because the self, the ego, basically wants to, um, wants security at all times. It must have security. It must have security in everything. And the the actual the actual thing out of this is the reality is there is no security in anything. There's no security in your relationships, there's no security in life, there's no security financial security. There's you know, in a sense you might have some financial security, but like you're wiped out. There is no security in life. But we the ego tries to get it and it's trying to get the impossible. So he's trying to now control the fact that he would love it if his current girlfriend would never lie again. And because she's in one white lie, his insecurity is that he wants to make sure that she never lies again or that he wants that security that anything she says is not a lie. Think of how crazy that is. And that's an automatic reaction out of insecurity that he has to watch out for. And, you know, he needs a bit of Socrates in him where you'd be indifferent to if someone said that she did this or that and you'd see the truth for yourself and you wouldn't react, basically. But it's harder, it's easier for said than done, obviously. Um, but I think that's probably the most important, one of the most important, I don't know if you'd call it a skill, but being able to observe without choice, observe with indifference is probably one of the most life-changing things any of us can do. Otherwise, we are slaves to people who can pull on our emotions. I literally said to him, you're my slave right now. He's like, I, say, I can literally say, oh, mate, she did. I think, look, I'm, t- I'm going to tell you something, that she did do it. And he's just losing his head. Complete stress response. Crazy. And you might be like, oh, Scott, you've been cruel. But I was like trying to tell him, like, I mean, you're literally my slave. I can say words, mere words that just made up out of my mouth. And you will react in such a responsive way, panicking, that it completely disrupts you. Yeah? That's what's happening. 
And we have to watch out for this. Who has that control over us? You know, think about it in your own life. Who has that control over you? Who can do that to you? And the answer ideally should be nobody should be able to say a word and, uh, and make you react in such a way. But I think it is hard to do it. But if we can just bring some of that to our life today, if we can just try and be indifferent to the things that happen to us today and respond instead of react and understand it's our opinions on things, not the things that happen, that is the, the thing. Like, like Socrates, obviously, was getting ridiculed. His opinion on it was could be a good thing. Your opinion on it, or your Will Smith's opinion on it, you ridicule me and I'll slap you. Who are you to ridicule me? It's like, come on, mate. You're better than that. Maybe he's not. But that's it, guys. That's my little lesson about good old Socrates today. And um, I'll probably do another. I'll probably do another podcast from another location in Athens, and I'll share something from there. But I'm off now, guys. Off on a walk. Off to get a coffee. And uh, off to live one day at a time. <laughs> See you soon.